0: Tonight, as we start Bible study, open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 4, as we begin in verse 34. We are in the midst of Nebuchadnezzar recounting what happened to him. So at the time it's being written, it's already happened. And he's explaining how it, shall we say, brought him on to a new attitude, a new look at life. Eating grass for seven years in the rain will just do that to you somehow. So in verse 33 it said, That very hour I was driven out, I was made to eat grass like oxen. My hair grew like the hair of an animal and my claws were like eagle's claws. My fingernails grew out. Verse 34 it says, And at the end of that time... It doesn't really say time in the Hebrew. It says at the end of those days, literally seven years later, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. What happened? I lifted my eyes to heaven. Even with the animal's heart and the animal's understanding, he looks up to heaven. And when he does that, he says "And my understanding returned to me. And I bless the Most High. Who's the Most High? Talking about the Lord God. See, we've had a change of heart, literally. And praise and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. This is astounding. Because what did Nebuchadnezzar do after the image of Daniel 2 was explained to him, that he was the head of gold, but that his kingdom was going to be overthrown by Medo-Persia? He went out and made an image of all gold to say, my kingdom will last forever. Mine will go from generation to generation. And now he's saying, well, no, it's not mine. <laughs> Sorry, I was wrong. His dominion, the Lord our God's dominion, is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom is from generation to generation, not mine. The not mine is implied. So let's go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Verse 13. This is David praising the Lord our God. And he says, "One in verse 13? Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. I wonder if while Nebuchadnezzar was eating grass for seven years, Daniel might not have been leading him down a path saying, let me read to you from the scriptures. Cause he sure hits right upon this Psalm of David. Look also to what do we just sing? cross Kraschimo" is from where?
1: Isaiah
0: 9. Isaiah nine. Isaiah nine. Let's go to Isaiah nine. Does it tell us that the Lord's kingdom will last forever and ever? Ah, but now put two and two together. Isaiah 9.6 For unto us a child is born. That's the first coming. Unto us a son is given. ben Nitan lanu A son is given to us. That's the second coming. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. That's El Gabor. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal Lord of hosts will perform this now wait a minute in Daniel chapter 4 this was said of El Elyon the most high God is the scripture when you put those verses together telling us that our Messiah Yeshua is the most high God yes it is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Just very quickly, since we'll get to them one of these days, probably. I was watching in the night visions. You're not there yet. Let me tap dance for a minute. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Who is that, the one like the Son of Man? That's our Messiah, Yeshua. Yeshua. Coming with the clouds of heaven. When does that happen? Armageddon. Revelation 19 verse 11. He came to the ancient of days. Who's the ancient of days? Ah, what we're going to find out when we get here in chapter 7 is that's Messiah too. Ah. And they brought him near before him. Where is God? God is everywhere. Then to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So he's called in Daniel chapter 4, El Elyon, the Most High God. He's called in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, he's called El Gibor, the Mighty God. The word Gibor means a mighty warrior. So it's saying a God who is the mighty warrior, the one who will return in Revelation 19 for Armageddon, the one called in Daniel 7.13, the one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Isn't it cool when you put all those verses together? Our God is an awesome God. Go back to Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, meaning in comparison. So Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I'm the emperor of the entire world. And compared to God, I am as nothing. That's a pretty honest comparison, isn't it? It's a statement of what? Of humility. Where before his statements were those of arrogance and self-righteousness. He, that is the Lord our God, does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? So Nebuchadnezzar's heart is changed. Instead of saying to God, why do you do this to me? He says, no one can challenge God and say, why do you do this to me? God is all powerful. And when you spit in his face, what follows is not rain. It, it took that drastic a judgment to humble himself. What are we going to read in Deuteronomy tomorrow? That it took God 40 years of leading Israel through the wilderness before they would humble themselves before Him. God is so patient that He will sometimes put us through the woodshed for a very long time before our attitude adjusts. Verse 36. At the same time, that is when he looks up to heaven and gives God the glory. At the same time, my reason returned to me. So instead of thinking like an ox, he's back to thinking like a human being. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. In other words, he gets to return to the throne to be king once more. It says my counselors and nobles resorted to me that is they accepted me back to my throne as king i was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me why the excellent majesty why did it get added cuz he's humbled himself before god he has repented when we repent and humble our, ourselves before god does that bring god's blessing Always does. That's God's natural tendency. Verse 37 says now, (coughs) I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Who's he calling the king of heaven? The most high God. All of whose works are truth and his ways justice. How does Nebuchadnezzar judge how God has carried out judgment upon him? As just. As just and righteous, I deserved it. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar has no doubt that God has the ability to put him in his place. At least 25 years pass now between verse 37. In chapter 5 verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar was succeeded by his son. Evil Merodach. We find that in 2 Kings. He reigned for 23 years. Then Evil Merodach's son Belshazzar. Who reigned for 3 years. And it's Belshazzar. Who is the subject of chapter 5
1: probably died
0: not too long after this particular event. Not immediately, but not too long afterward. Yeah, so there's at least 25 years that passed. Everybody go, do, 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 do. They taught me that in Israel, and I liked it so much. I just can't let it go. Chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. And drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Why? Why does he do this? Show how great he is. is, And he's doing this to worship the Lord our God? No. He's leading his people in pagan idol worship. Oh no. Verse 2. While he tasted the wine... Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords his wives and his concubines might drink from them. First thing we have to notice is there are theologians all over the place saying the Bible is not true. Because Belshazzar His father was not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather. So the Bible's wrong. No, it's not. You must realize that the Hebrew word av means father or any male ancestor. Father, grandfather, great-grandfather. So they simply translated it as father without thinking about the fact that it might confuse people later. But yes, Nebuchadnezzar is the male ancestor of Belshazzar. So that is correct. So Nebuchadnezzar had taken the gold and silver cups from the temple and put them into his treasury. And now he brings them out to use them to worship pagan gods. Why didn't he use other vessels? Why these particular ones? Was it meant to spit in God's eye? It was absolutely meant to say, look, I am better than this God of the Hebrews. Has he never heard Nebuchadnezzar's story? Of course he has. But what does he think? Oh, he was just a crazy old coot. After all, he did eat grass for seven years. So why should we put any stock in what he says? Okay, that's what's happened. So verse 3. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and what? Praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Did I hear it too? No. Okay. Oh. We're in Daniel chapter 5, that was verse 4. So he gives no praise to God, no recognition of God at all, but rather is praising that his gods are more powerful than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do you think he's wanting to know what salad tastes like? No, I think not. That's not what's in store for Belshazzar. So verse 5, in the same hour, not days later, not a year later, in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared. What about the rest of the body? Nope. Just the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand. Why opposite the lampstand? So you can see it really clearly. On the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Why not on a piece of paper? No, it's gonna get written right into the plaster of the wall, where it's gonna be there for a long time. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. If you were the king, would this affect you at all? It even affects Belshazzar, who was so arrogant just a minute ago. It says what? And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, verse 6, and the king's countenance changed. How do we put that in modern language? He was scared to death, death. yeah. (laughs) And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosed and his knees knocked against each other. He is trembling in terror. Yes, he's heard what happened in Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, he's heard about the visions and the explanations. And he thought that he could just spit in God's face anyway. And here comes the message. You've heard the phrase, then there was the writing on the wall. Well, this is where it comes from. Whenever people say, I wish God would send me an email, I think, but don't write on the wall. Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Is Daniel here in this group? Apparently not. Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom, meaning a ruler over a third of the kingdom. Remember, he rules the world. And there are many nations under him. And he's got second tier overseers that oversee kingdoms. So he has three main overseers that oversee each a third of his kingdom. So the other nations are under these three. So whoever can read and interpret this is going to get promoted up and boot out one of the current three. Verse 8 has a typo in it, if I can be so bold. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. It's written in Aramaic. They read and speak Aramaic. It's not that they can't read or, it's that they can't read and interpret. They see the words, they just don't know what they mean. You and I know what the words are, Mene Mene Tekel Upharsin. But what does it mean? Well, we'll find out as we get there. So they could read it but they could not interpret it for the king. For <clears throat> sign, then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. Wait a minute, back in verse 6 he was only troubled. Now he's greatly troubled. The wisest men in his kingdom can't interpret this. He's he's afraid it might be something bad. You know what? He's right. It's something really bad. So then Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed. And his lords were astonished. It's actually perplexed. Because they don't have a clue what this thing means. And the king, who's so arrogant and haughty, is trembling in his shoes, his knees knocking together from fear. They're beginning to think, this is really bad. But then here comes the queen, actually the queen mother. Verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. In other words, man up, sissy. Verse 11. And like I say, that's probably the queen mother, the wife of of Nebuchadnezzar. So verse 11 says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Not one of the ones you're singing and raising your glass to, but the holy God. As in the days of your father, that is Nebuchadnezzar, as we read earlier, so his grandfather, liked and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Why is she telling him all this? Like I said, he didn't call Daniel in with his great Chaldeans he doesn't want the children of Israel to be part of the kingdom except in a inferior role first 12 and as much as an excellent spirit knowledge understanding interpreting dreams solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation so doesn't this appear like it's Nebuchadnezzar's wife who heard the interpretation of the dreams earlier, who saw her husband go eat grass for seven years? And
1: she remembered Daniel. And, you know, why would she remember his Hebrew name? Because he was known as Belteshazzar.
0: Yeah. She remembers Daniel. She remembers Daniel, that's right. And that's why she calls him Daniel and says, Oh yeah, but your father called him Belteshazzar. Yeah. Yeah, and she wasn't in the banquet hall, and it already said his wives were drinking wine with him.
2: Yeah, so she, she was like, I ain't going to that
0: party. Yeah. yeah, she was wise enough to stay away from that pagan, how do I put Adventure. it? All? Banquet of wine. I bet she came and wagging her finger. Yeah, I bet she did, coming and wagging her finger. You can almost hear coming grabbing the king by the ear, huh, saying, let's go, boy. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who was one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Does this let you know he doesn't know Daniel? Yeah, he doesn't know Daniel. I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. Notice he doesn't say they couldn't read it. Yeah. So just fix that or over there to an and. Verse sixteen, And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. What's an enigma? Analyst, A riddle. Yeah. yeah, just watch the old Batman movies. Yeah. <laughs> now if you can read the writing and make known to me it's interpretation. This is really an and because he doesn't know if Daniel can read Aramaic or not probably since he didn't know him. If you can, though, you shall be clothed with purple. What's purple a sign of? Royalty. And have a chain of gold around your neck. And shall be the third ruler in the kingdom, or ruler over a third of the kingdom under me, essentially is what it is. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. What's he mean? Yeah, the king was thinking, "Man, I got to bribe this guy to give me an answer." And Daniel says, "I don't need your money, I don't need your power, position. I'll do it because God wants you to know it." Was Daniel
1: given the third of the kingdom under <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. So he he've been there, done that.
0: Yeah, and but he's retired. retired. He's, retired. he's an old man
1: by now. Yeah. He's an old
0: man by now, and he's no longer in that position right. as he might have been once upon a time. Remember, we're two kings hence. Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. There's step one. How did Nebuchadnezzar become ruler of the world? God gave it to him. So to whom did Nebuchadnezzar owe a debt of gratitude and thanks? But to God. So what was Belteshazzar just doing? Praising whom? The idols. Which of those gods gave Nebuchadnezzar the kingdom? Answer, none. And because of the majesty that he gave him, In other words, not because of anything Nebuchadnezzar did but because of what God did. All peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. In other words, he conquered the world. Whomever he wished he executed. Whomever he wished he kept alive. Whomever he wished he set up and whomever he wished he put down. But When his heart was lifted up. What's that mean? Prideful, Prideful, arrogant. And his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. I thought the king just asked him to read the message. (laughs) But Daniel's going to dress him down first. Yeah. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Does this relate to the message somehow? It most certainly does.
1: Reminding, of, reminding him of history he probably already knew Daniel's like a little man he says have I told you this before? <laughs> well, he's, he's telling him he's
0: what he saying, you're about to lose your kingdom he's telling him God gave the kingdom and God can take it away that's why he's starting out with the kingdom came from God when Nebuchadnezzar rose up in pride and arrogance He lost the kingdom for seven years but when he repented and turned back then it was restored to him. That's why in verse 21 it says until he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses but you his son Belshazzar have not humbled your heart although you knew all this. Ah. So Belshazzar did know. But Belshazzar didn't tell Daniel. How does Daniel know that he knew? Because Daniel's a prophet. And God knows everything. He
1: could have been there. This kid dandled on his
0: grandpa's knees. Could have been. Could have been. So verse 22. This is why God doesn't need to give Belshazzar seven years to repent. Belshazzar has Nebuchadnezzar's story, and Nebuchadnezzar's repentance. Hmm. Are we supposed to learn lessons yep. from what's come before us? Then why didn't Paul in the New Testament tell us that we should learn lessons from the Old Testament? He
1: did.
0: He did. Yeah. Where? This is the New
1: Testament. What's that? <laughs> To who said,
0: Keep a finger and turn to Romans. Well, let's go to Romans 15 first. Didn't just say it once, he said it twice. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. For whatever things... Oops, you're not there yet. Romans 15, verse 4. Sorry, don't let me get ahead of you. For whatever things were written before were written, why? For our, For our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And then you said, go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse... Near the beginning. Near the beginning. Verse eleven.
2: Sorry,
0: First, First Corinthians chapter ten, verse
2: eleven.
0: Yeah, but for the for sake, of time. sake of time, we'll just make a note that Romans fifteen four and 1 Corinthians ten eleven give us an, actually the same lesson in different words. Now all these things happen to them, that is what's written in the Old Testament, as examples. And they were written for our admonition. What's an admonition? A, a warning. Mm-hmm. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come.
1: If we cut off the Old Testament, we no longer have signs saying the bridge is out. You need to divert, you need to do... You're going to
0: go in the pit. Yep. If we cut off the Old Testament, quote unquote, then we lose all the lessons God gave us to learn from. Whenever Israel was obedient to God, what did they receive? Blessings. Blessings. And when they were disobedient, they got?
1: Curses.
0: The woodshed. Yeah. And yet, what do we hear today? From pulpits all over the land? It does not apply. God doesn't care anymore if you live in sin. Yeah, just wait till tomorrow when we come back to Deuteronomy. Okay, back to Daniel chapter 5, because I digress. Verse 22, but you, his son, or in this case, grandson, same, th- same word. Just like Av means father or any male ancestor, Bain means son or any male descendant. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. How did he do that? By taking those gold and silver cups that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from God's temple and using them to praise who? False gods. False gods like Baal and Ishtar. What had the northern kingdom done? When the crops would come in and God would give them wheat bountifully, who would they give praise to? Baal and Ishtar. How did that go over for them? Not so good. So here is Belshazzar as king of the world because God gave it to Nebuchadnezzar who gave it to evil Merodach and passed it on to Belshazzar and is praising gods of wood, iron, and stone, etc., this reminds you of what?
2: Luke chapter twelve where it talks about Luke
0: chapter twelve where it talks about
2: if you've been given much, you're required of
0: much. Ah, to whom much is given, much is required. So
2: like that's explains why Belshazzar's punishment was like that, because he was he had that example from Nebuchadnezzar.
0: Exactly. Yeah. If he had not had that example from Nebuchadnezzar. God might have given him a grace period to learn. But knowing what had happened, judgment's about to fall. So let's get on to it. Judgment's about to fall. The writing's on the wall. (laughs) Verse 23, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought you, they have brought the vessels of his house. Whose house? The Lord of heaven. Before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the Lord our God heard and saw and knew. Right? And the God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. What's it mean who holds your breath in his hand? Your Your very life. Uh He knows when your last breath will be taken. He's telling him
2: which is about to be your last.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this writing was written and this is the inscription that was written mine mine take you farson let's look at each word <clears throat> how long has it been since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple of God Let's think about that as we read these words. Verse 26, and this is the interpretation of each word. Mine. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. But why is it written twice? Why mine, mine?
1: Number
0: twice, Not exactly, I don't think. Here's my thought. Mine, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. The next mene is also a number, the number 50. Verse 27 Tekel, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew shekel. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting, but Tekel is also a number. It's one. So it's 50 plus one 51. And u'farson is Perez in the plural. Perets, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. But the perets is also half a shekel. So if it's 50 plus one plus a half, it's been 51 and a half years to the day since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple of God. So your kingdom has been numbered 51 and a half. And then Upharsin, Parrots is plural, because Parrots is also the Aramaic word for Persia. As in it's the Medes and the Persians that are going to destroy Babylon. Well, Babylon was that head of gold. What was the chest and arms of silver?
1: Persia.
0: Mede and Persia. Hmm. So God says your kingdom has been finished. Fifty one and a half years, that's it. It's going to be taken by the Persians tonight. Uh Uh-oh. What do you think God meant? Exactly that, right? Let's read on. Verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom that very night. Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. When God said, your kingdom has been numbered and finished, what did he mean? Done.
1: <laughs>
0: Period done over. And that's exactly what happened. Do you remember how it happened?
2: Yep, they blocked him.
0: Yeah. The people in the city were drunk from this banquet of wine. The Medes and Persians stopped the flow of the Euphrates River, walked under the city walls, and everybody was drunk and asleep.
1: Not even no person died,
0: except the king. I was gonna say the king didn't make it. Yeah, okay. But it was just that easy. Had they not had this huge drunken party the soldiers might have been awakened at their posts. From
1: Verse 30. The, from the reading of this chapter, it sounds like when, even before they came to get Daniel, that God had already spoken to him. That he knew, already to Daniel. He knew what writing was on the wall. He knew the history. He, I think he went there fully prepared to share what God had given him.
0: I agree, because there's nowhere near where Daniel says, Hey, give me a few hours or days and let me go ask God. He simply said, Sit down and shut up, king. There it is. So, verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. They were conquered, Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian were co-rulers. Here Darius is mentioned because the Medes came up first but the Persians were much more powerful. So that's why when you see the images in the book of Daniel of the animal that represents Medo-Persia one side's higher than the other. Okay. That's interesting. Okay on to Oh before we go on to let's go to Isaiah chapter 44. I said Darius was co-regent with Cyrus the Persian. Cyrus the Persian is the one that God mentions by name in the book of Isaiah 125 years before the man's even born. How can I possibly miss going to a prophecy like that? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. I heard Jewish rabbis talking about this these particular verses today. As they were starting to think, maybe we shouldn't have been so quick to reject Yeshua of Nazareth. So, are you at Isaiah 44, verse 24? Here we go. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. What's a Redeemer? What's a goel? A near kinsman who pays the debts you cannot pay for yourself. This word, Lord, is the Tetragrammaton, yod heh vav he. So, it is the Lord, as he's called throughout the Old Testament, that is our Redeemer, our Messiah and he who formed you from the womb I am the Lord who makes all things who stretches out the heavens all alone that's Genesis 1 but it's also John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 who spreads abroad the earth by myself who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness what happened to all of Babylon's wise men Daniel 1, Daniel 5, they just fall all over themselves, don't they? Uh Who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers. Who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be rebuilt. And I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. How did Medo-Persia overtake Babylon? Dried up the rivers who says of Cyrus, that's the king of Persia, who is co-regents with Darius the Mede. He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. In which book of the Bible does Cyrus say, God told me to do this, so go do it? That's in Ezra chapter 1. And chapter forty-five goes on to say, "Thus says the Lord to His anointed: His anointed is Messiah, Mashiach. He calls Cyrus not the Messiah, but a Messiah. To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him. How did the Medes and Persians overthrow the Babylonians in a city that couldn't be taken?" was by the hand of God, right? And loose the armor of kings, that's referring to Belshazzar, to open before in the double door so the gates will not be shut. Et cetera, et cetera. Okay, cool. Back to Daniel, chapter six. About 125 years before Cyrus is even born. Do things like that impress you when God does that hundreds of years before they happen? It does me. Chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. To be over the whole kingdom. We read last Monday about Ahasuerus who had 120 satraps over the kingdom. Ahasuerus is Darius' son. So Darius divides the kingdom into 120 subservient kingdoms with a satrap over each. We might say a governor. Governor to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. So there's 120 guys who rule a kingdom and three guys who rule over 40 of the satraps each. So they each rule over a third. And that's where Daniel comes in.
1: Him out of retirement.
0: Yeah. So Nebuchadnezzar had set him over. And then Belshazzar set him over. And Darius says, hey, he'll do.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if there was some communication about the handwriting on the wall and Daniel predicted it, and they're like, man, this, we need this gal on
0: our team. You know? Yeah. you know it. You know it. And I'm sure it was Daniel who said, oh, let me show you something in the scroll of Isaiah. Yeah. There. Mm-hmm. What
2: were the boundaries or the extents of the kingdom at that
0: time? The known world.
1: Which was? Everything but China probably and
0: in India. Uh, went, went over including India. Including. Including India. And over as far as Britain, that area. So not many, the United States. It wasn't known yet. How
1: come China wasn't? Because it wasn't easy to travel to China? or what, I mean, Why is China not included in... in,
0: the, in as far Asia? as I know, it's, there weren't roads that went that far. It wasn't easy to get to. wasn't easy to conquer. More
2: isolated.
0: Yeah. yeah. The Euphrates is drying up now. The Euphrates is drying up now. Shame that's not in prophecy somewhere, huh? <laughs> It's in the book of Revelation, isn't it? That it's going to dry up to allow the kings of the east to come participate in the wars. Yep. Maybe
2: somebody that goes over there could go see where the grady got messed up and they came
0: in and took it over. Yeah, probably could. Probably could. Keep watching on YouTube. There's lots of videos that are starting to get posted about the level of the Euphrates and the things they're beginning to see and hear that are just terrifying. The book of Revelation says there are angels bound under the great river Euphrates and now they're hearing from deep underground terrifying sounds. And as the water level went down to where it's dry in some areas they found what are essentially Prison-type cells that they say are not man-made, and they're beginning to hear these terrifying sounds coming from, them and going, I wonder if there are angels bound down there, but I'm not going to go look.
1: Um, we should send Joe
0: down there to check it out. Yeah, yeah, should. Okay, back to the scripture. So, verse two, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. How old is Daniel by this point? He's pretty old. He was, they say, about 16 when he went into captivity, and that's been a good 70 years or so ago. So he's got to be at least in his 80s to 90s. How long was
1: captivity
0: that Daniel prayed to, to end? Seventy years. That was the one? That's the one. And that's going to be in Daniel 9 where he's going to pray that it's time.
1: Now, was he in the first
0: group of exiles? He was in the first group of exiles. Okay. The first group of exiles were those who God said, go, and said, okay, God, you told us to go, we'll go. So if he was 16
1: then, he could be getting near 80
0: if it could be getting over it's been, 80. Yeah. It's been
1: nearly 70 years. It has been. At this point, it hadn't been the full time. but it's getting
0: there. Yeah, remember it's 51 and a half years since Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. That was on the third wave of exiles, yeah. not the first. Yeah, the first. So we're getting at the end of the 70 years, and it's time for the children of Israel to go home. And that's why in Ezra chapter 1, it's Cyrus saying, God told me to have you build him his temple back in Jerusalem. Go build it. Yeah. So that's the time we're getting to. So verse 2. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. So the three overseers of the 40 satraps each, their job is to make sure the satraps stay honest. And when they collect the tributes that they pass them on to the king and not put them into their own pockets. How would you like to have a true prophet of God looking over your shoulder to make sure you're keeping the books accurately? I'd mm. love one
1: of those
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> our country. Would you? <laughs> over, yeah, watching over our government. Checking, yeah. out, checking
1: out January
0: the 6th videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not do that on the tape, though. Okay. <laughs> Verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm that is to set him over the three governors who were over the 120 satraps. Do you think this would cause any kind of jealousy? Have we read the story of Daniel in the lion's den yet? No, it's we're about to. Because what's it going to do to the native Babylonians that this Jewish person is getting promoted up even higher? Verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel. Oh, wait a minute. I must not forget my notes. So the governors, verse 4, and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. That is, some way he's embezzling or cheating or lying to the king. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. No, was there any error or fault found in him. How would you like that to be the way the Bible records your character? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel's right for Daniel. Ezekiel chapter fourteen.
1: for the
0: Daniel, you were well named, weren't you? Is that true? Yeah. Well, the name means God is my judge. It's a constant reminder every day of your life that you're going to get judged at the end. If anything's going to keep it on the straight and narrow, that ought to do it. Except for my grandpa, but we won't talk about him. But Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. Look at how Ezekiel describes Daniel. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. This is the Lord God speaking. He says... Of my three best, brightest, most righteous people in the world, Noah, Daniel, and Job. Isn't that a position of honor? Oh, man. How much do you want to think Daniel's going to be in heaven when we get there? No, Moses, is not Moses is not even mentioned. So that truly is an honored list
1: so then with this reference to Job and before there was a question raised up was Job an actual person this would to me indicate that Job was an actual
0: person provided you believe the Bible is the word of God you have to believe the Bible is not the word of God to question whether Job was a real person or not but you're right this is the Lord himself telling us Job was a real person and how did God describe Job righteous man man. that was Noah those particular words but he was so (laughs) we won't quibble carrying on verse 5 Daniel 6 verse 5 then these men said we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God His reputation was such that even his enemies knew that he would not break the law of God. Which explains what the Lord said about him in Ezekiel 14, huh? And that's what's going to happen here. They're going to try to find some way that Daniel will follow the law of God rather than the law of the king. So here we go, verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him King Darius, live forever. That's just stroking his ego. Verse 7, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. This is a bald-faced lie. Because all the governors and the administrators and satraps would have included Daniel. Did Daniel agree to this? No. So they're lying to the king. That's a very risky thing to do because kings tend to get real angry when they find out they've been lied to. So they pretend even Daniel agrees to this because they say all. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign it in writing. So that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Which does not alter. This is a very very important concept that I want us to get a hold of. If the law of an earthly king cannot be changed once it's sealed. How can you believe the law of God can be changed? Is the law of man greater than the law of God? no so let's run this ibex for a minute go to numbers 2319 numbers 2319 since we were just talking about Balaam numbers 23 verse 19 Numbers twenty-three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. What does that word repent mean? Change his mind. Change his mind. Or has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? How many theologians have you heard from a pulpit that say God changes His mind all the time?
1: I think there is a little confusion when it says uh, in Genesis it says God repented of making man.
0: Yeah, they shouldn't have used the word repentant. Yeah, exactly. It's simply the way some of our English translations have strayed too far from the original meaning. So Numbers twenty three nineteen says God does not change His mind. If He says it, He will do it. But a lot of the translators are not that familiar with biblical Hebrew. I got to admit, before I studied biblical Hebrew, I started looking to see what Hebrew word is shall, what Hebrew word is will, what Hebrew word is might, what Hebrew word is could. The answer is, there aren't any. It's how, you it's how you translate the imperfect verb. You can translate the very same words, I will destroy, I might destroy, I should destroy, I could destroy. So when God told Moses, I will destroy the children of Israel and start over with you, that's just the way the translators chose to translate it. Because they want you to think that God will change his mind. They should have translated it. I might just go ahead and wipe them out and start over. What do you think Moses? And Moses going, "Uh uh-uh, no, don't do that. God didn't change his mind. But the English translators made it sound like he did. It's
2: the same thing in the book of Jonah when it says that
0: God repented of destroying. Yeah, same thing in the book of Jonah when it says God repented of destroying. Did he repent of anything? No. No, because he still
2: destroyed
0: Nineveh. Yeah. He's, it
2: wasn't
0: then. He still destroyed Nineveh. He never said when. It just pushed it down the road a little bit. But the judgment came just like God said. Go to Malachi 3.6. You guys all know Malachi 3.6. Even before we get there, you know what it says. Malachi is right before Matthew. For I am the Lord I what do not change. Psalm eighty-nine thirty-four. How many of us have a t shirt that says this on the front? I know I do. Psalm eighty nine thirty four. My covenant I will not break. Nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So when you say, Oh, God changes his mind all the time, you're saying God's a liar. I recommend we not call God a liar, because he might just take offense. Psalm 119, verse 89. Yes, this is an elementary principle.
2: But it's, it's sad how so many people that you know, call themselves believers, this is where you have to start. You have to establish this foundation with them in order, before you can tell them anything else.
0: Yeah, but do you know why the church pushes so hard to say that God changes his mind regularly?
2: Well, it's to support their doctrine.
0: It's to support the doctrine that the law has been abolished. God changed his mind. He doesn't want that anymore. When mm. you
2: actually read the Bible, you'll see that it says he really doesn't change, which makes. When you the read
0: the Bible, worse. it says he really doesn't change, and their doctrine collapses.
1: And very few people have read
0: the Bible. Psalm one nineteen verse eighty nine. You're going to read it every word. <laughs> Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven.
1: And this was a long time before a lot of these books were
0: written. This was a long time ago, wasn't it, that this was penned? And does it say what? God will change his mind one of these days? No. I sure hope God doesn't change his mind. We need you know. Yipper. What if we came to judgment day and the Lord said, change I changed my mind. Salvation is not by faith, it's by works. Did you earn it? <laughs> and what are you going to do? Oh, wait a minute. That's not fair. You changed the rules. No, God doesn't change the rules. Look at Psalm 119, verse 126. Did you have something, Daniel? I was going
2: to say, you know, that Psalm 119, eighty nine, where it says your word is settled in heaven forever. Yeah. And you can tie that right to John 1, which says in the beginning was the word.
0: It always has been.
2: always has been. So if it's always settled, if it's... Then, settled, then
0: it can't change and in Matthew 24 the Lord said heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall never pass away so
2: that same word that was settled in heaven in John 1 says became flesh right so it's got to be the same word
0: it is Messiah is the word incarnate what was Matthew Matthew 24 verse
1: 35 Twenty-four,
0: thirty-five. yeah But we don't turn there because it says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So that's exactly what it says. Psalm 119, verse 126. This one is one that I wish was better known. Maybe I should put this in a (laughs) t-shirt. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. What is the false messiah going to try and do when he comes?
2: What people say the real messiah is done.
0: Yep. To declare the law as void, right? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Back to Daniel for you. Preaching. So if the law was abolished with messiah, then what's the job of
2: the false messiah?
0: If the law was abolished with the messiah, what would be the job of the false messiah? It would make them one and the same. It would make... Messiah and Satan on the same path with the same objective and that didn't happen
2: so he's going to come and say I'm here to abolish the law it's already been abolished well <laughs> hey,
1: well I got, se- I got seven lost. years yeah. <laughs> like Yeshua came so that the Gentiles who were never under the law would no longer be under the law right uh, wait
0: a yeah <laughs> Okay, let's get back to the scriptures. Let's see. We're in, still in chapter 6, aren't we? Verse 10. Uh, probably not. Verse 9. Because we just saw the administrators and satraps say, We all think you should do it. In verse 9, he does it. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Once it's signed, can it be changed? No. How Permanent ink. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, that's why we turn to Jerusalem when we sing the Shema, by the way, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early day. When it says at the beginning of verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. It doesn't mean he was part of the group trying to get the king to do it. It means that he goes home with the full knowledge that if he calls on any god except the god of Darius, he's going to break the law. And what does he do? Does he go home and think about it? He goes home and opens the window so everybody can see and hear that whatever King Darius wants, he's going to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He kneels down and prays three times that day. What times were those? It's going to be nine, noon, and three, right? And gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8 to answer the question why does he pray toward Jerusalem there's a reason 1st Kings chapter 8 starting in verse 46 1st Kings chapter 8 is a prayer by King Solomon at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 46. Are we there? When they sin against you, meaning the Jewish people, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near. Where is Daniel. He's a captive in a foreign land because God sent them there because of their sin. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, that's a prayer, that's what supplication is, saying we have sinned and done wrong, we've committed wickedness. When they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive, And pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers. The city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you. And grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. That your eyes may be open to the supplication of your your servant and the supplication of your people Israel, to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance, as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So this is why Daniel opens the window and prays toward Jerusalem, toward the temple. It was part of Solomon's prayer that when your people do this, that you will hear it. Now, let's go to the book of Acts to answer the question, but God told us to obey the governments appointed over us. Yes, but there is a limit. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. What council is that? Sanhedrin. It's not just a council, it's also a court, right? And the high priest asked them, saying, Verse 28, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. That's called a guilty conscience, by the he, way. He
1: didn't do that. They did it themselves. Well,
0: but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So that's what Daniel is doing long before the apostles did it. How much you want to bet the apostles had read the story of Daniel and said like daniel who was held in such high regard in, in terms of righteousness by the lord our god how he defied the rule of the king in favor of the commandment of god should we not do also so back to daniel 6 verse 11 then these men assembled and found daniel praying and making supplication before his god look how shocked they are oh my some no they never looked through the keyhole. He opened the window, <laughs> and they knew he would be there praying to his God. And he is. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Quote: Have you not signed the decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? King answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. He doesn't know about Daniel yet, does he? So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king when he heard these words was greatly de- displeased with Daniel. No. Was greatly displeased with himself. He knows he's been led into a trap by his administrators. Would he ever have done this if he thought this is going to cause me to throw Daniel in the lion's den? Not on your life. He wanted to make Daniel above all the administrators and governors and satraps and everybody. Because he knew how righteous and holy Daniel was. So the king's greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver. And what's that mean? He wants to find a way not to throw Daniel in the lion's den. But can you change the command? No, not once it's been sealed
1: that really paints a good picture of him because he's, he is really fervently he's, he,
0: he he's really it. trying but to find knows, a way
1: he knows he's been set up and yeah so I mean, he's locked into it he's got to obey the law but man he's looking for the way around it
0: he's looking for the way around it what if he kills an innocent man will God hold him unresponsible no, he's in a pickle. So in verse 14, the king is looking for any way to get around this. So here come all his advisors, ever helpful. Verse 15. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it's the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. As we got gotcha, you, we got gotcha, you, we got gotcha. you. So the king gave the command. Uh, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke to Daniel, quote, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you, period.
1: awesome.
0: That's, cool. that's awesome. That's faith. That's Daniel. I, the king of the world, could not save you, but God will, because He's greater than I. It's a great declaration, isn't didn't it?
1: He said can. He said will.
0: Yes, he didn't say can. He said will. Verse 17. Then a stone was brought, and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his signet ring. With the things of his lords, so that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Does that knock your socks off? How many graves in the Bible, in the history of mankind, are sealed? Two. Two. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. And how did that sealing work both times? Did not, <laughs> not at all.
1: That wax did not hold.
0: Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66. That was one of the most exciting things in archaeology that I learned in the last few years. The last time I was at the tomb, they were still saying, well, this probably isn't the right place. But since then, the archaeologists have found the holes where the seals were placed across the stone of that tomb. I only know of two tombs that had ever been sealed like that. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, so that's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. But I said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Did you hear what Pilate said? He essentially says, it isn't going to do you any good, but you can try. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So let's go back and see what happened to Daniel when they sealed the entrance to the lion's den. Verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night feasting. No, fasting. Why is the king fasting? He's fasting for God to intervene and deliver Daniel. You got
1: religion
0: all so. Yeah. And no musicians were brought before him. There are others who say it shouldn't be musicians, it should be table. That is, he wouldn't even let food be brought in before him. And it says also his sleep went from him. So he's gonna stay up, pacing the floor, fasting, praying. On behalf of Daniel. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. You know, it's even a different Hebrew word for arose early than arose. When one arises early, it indicates an excitement, an urgency. Not just that he was unable to sleep. So the king arose very early in the morning, went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. I hear somebody out there. What's that? I have a clear. I need you to clarify something. In my former walk, I was always told that God does nothing except answer to prayer. So, and prayer and fasting.
2: So, it put me into this mode of. I've got to pray. I've got to fast. I've got to do this works-oriented thing to get God bend God's arm to make him do something that I need done. But that's not the correct way. Now I understand that that's not how you live your life. You live by faith.
0: Right. What just what Daniel just, what the, the king did, he prayed and fasted to get God to change his mind, right? No, not to get God to change his mind. He knew, he already said, God will protect you. So his prayer and fasting was as much in thanks to God as anything. So that whole, I don't know where that philosophy came up or that teaching that God does nothing unless you pray and fast. But it's it's not true. It is not true, but there was a time when the apostles were unable to cast demons out of an individual, and the Lord said, This kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. There is no verse in the Bible that says God does nothing without prayer and fasting. Yeah. Okay. So they must have made a doctrine from that statement and just yep.
1: carried, it
0: over. carried it over, blew it up, put fences around it. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you. Yep. Verse 20. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. What does it mean, lamenting? He's He's crying. He's weeping. He's sorry that he had to throw Daniel in there. It hurts his heart. The king spoke, saying to Daniel. Notice, saying to Daniel. He's not even looked yet. But he knows Daniel's in there. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king... O oh, king, live forever. <laughs> Can you see the relief on the king's face? Can you just picture it? And the I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. That Daniel's God would not let any harm come to him. Do you think he'd heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and that there was no smoke even Smell on their clothes. I bet he did. Verse 22. My God sent his angel. And shut the lion's mouths. So that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was what? Exceedingly glad for him exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Look at that word believed. In Aramaic that word is hamin. The Hebrew side of the um, lexicon word 540 is the Aramaic equivalent of heamin turn back to Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 Genesis 15 verse 6 where Avram believed God and God accounted him for righteousness is the same word but in Aramaic instead of Hebrew What had God promised that when they're out in a foreign land and they turn toward Jerusalem to the temple and pray with a humble and repentant heart? What would God do?
1: Hear from
0: heaven. Hear from heaven. What did God do? He heard from heaven. So notice verse 23 says, So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found in him because he believed in his God. God promised it and he believed it go to Isaiah 6614 how at odds is this doctrine that says well God changes his mind all the time with this actual concept in the scripture of and he believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness that God said it that's it it's going to happen in Isaiah 66 verse 14 when you see this that is the Lord protecting Jerusalem in the in the day of the Lord your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. How many classes of people are there there? One, two. two. His servants and his enemies. Oh, oh. What is that word indignation in Hebrew? Za'am. The word used for God pouring out his wrath in the tribulation period is God's wrath for his children. For those who honestly serve him with their whole hearts. The answer is no. Go to Romans 6.16 You know what it says even before you get there. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves servants to obey you are that one's servants whom you obey whether a sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness do we obey God or man we obey God and what did Daniel do when he was forced to choose do I obey the king or do I obey God which did he choose He chose without hesitation to serve God, to be his servant. And God laid out his hand of protection. I want you to look at Isaiah because that's an end times prophecy. God has not changed. If you will honestly serve the true and living God, his hand of protection will be around you. That doesn't mean Satan can't do some nasty stuff on occasion though. So let's go back to Daniel 6 before I get preachy. That was verse 23. So verse 24. And the king gave the command, listen to this, this is something. And they brought those men who had accused Daniel. That's the other governors, administrators, and the 120 satraps. That's the leaders under him of all the world. And they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Meaning none of them hit the floor in the den alive.
1: It must have been a crowd of lions. That many
0: must have been a lot of lions. What do we call a lot of lions? A pride of lions. <laughs> they
1: would show that in kids' books. There's like one lions over there. Yeah. An old
0: one with no teeth. (laughs) Yeah. And we know that the scripture does not concur with that picture. Verse 25 Then, oh, I love this part. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, they are all subservient to him. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree. That in every dominion of my kingdom, that's everywhere. Men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, not a living God, the living God, meaning there is no other. And steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed his dominion shall endure to the end. That's just like we read in Isaiah 9, right? This is the same conclusion Nebuchadnezzar came to after eating grass for seven years. Verse 27 says, He delivers and rescues, and He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So in the garden, every man and woman on earth knew God personally. When Noah's ark sat down, every man and woman knew God personally. When Nebuchadnezzar made his decree to all the world, it was to all the world they were to worship the Lord our God. Then three generations later, here's the same dominion, but having passed to the Medo-Persians, And the decree goes out to the whole world that there is no God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who's the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. The end of what? To the goal, right? The messianic kingdom. Wow. So he commands the entire world To turn to the worship of the true and living God. Verse 28. So this Daniel prospered. In the reign of Darius. And in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. They're the co-regents. And this verse. Ends the portion of the book of Daniel. That is history. From chapter 7 on. It's entirely prophecy. So it says Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Then what happens? He kind of passes out of history, right? And who is the son of Cyrus the Persian? But Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, the king in the book of Esther, what's that?
1: And Esther was in the up up lineage from that crowd. was it Esther?
0: Esther marries Ahasuerus, the son of Cyrus. It's her son that allows the children of Israel to go go home. But Ahasuerus doesn't seem to be aware of Daniel. So did Daniel die? According to the Jewish sages, no, Daniel went back to Israel to help rebuild Jerusalem. Hmm. I wasn't there, but that's what they say. Yes, ma'am. You had a question, didn't you, Miss Nancy? No, sorry.
1: You're just thinking. Ah, okay. Thinking
0: mm-hmm. All right. So this is where we'll stop for this week. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Daniel chapter 7. You know how much I don't like prophecy, but, well, yes I do. And we get to get back to prophecies that will take us to the very time of the end, to the very days we live in, and those that are just ahead of us.